I have been helpless, I have been helpful, I have been useless, I have been used. I have flown on the wings of the morning, I have descended to a dark, lonely place. He's been there in good times and bad times. He's been there when I could not carry on. My Lord's been there when my heart had no words. The loving Father still faithful to God this year because God's been faithful to us. Yeah, thank you, Emily, for that song. I'd like to begin with an illustration of, of what our series means today. And as far as I know, the first guy to give this visual parable was the author, Stephen Covey. But there have been a good number of people who've done it over the years. And I think you're going to see it's a powerful reminder to us of big rocks first. Now, uh, we have life groups at 945 on Sunday mornings, and if you've never tried a life group, this is the perfect time of year to start it out, try it out, and as I walked around this morning, a lot of the life groups were pretty full, and uh, some of them had some breakfast foods, and and we have life groups for every age and stage of life, and we would love for you to try it out. It's a a great uh, place of community, a great place to get to know other people here in the body of Christ, And in our life group this morning, 
I asked for nominees for somebody to help me out uh, with our illustration here this morning. And everybody nominated Joe, and Joe has gone AWOL. I mean, like he has disappeared from the premises. And so we're going to have to go with our alternate nominee, which was Scott. And so Scott, come on up. And uh, Scott, he tried to plead that he's been used for stuff before, but come on up here. So we're going to try it out. Now we have before us uh, kind of a, a strange deal here with all kinds of stuff all over the place. We have a bowl of little rocks right here. Now these little rocks represent the trivial things of life. Facebook and Twitter and TV, sports, movies. Knitting? Do you do knitting? Crochet. crochet. He's more of a crochet guy. Um, I don't know. What else is there? Magazines? Uh, that's, that's a tough call right there. All right, I'll give in. Dutch Brothers. Pretty much uh, all the little stuff of life that we have. And uh, what we're going to ask Scott to do is Whoa. Now that we've uh, filled that up with the little things of life, we're going to ask him to go ahead and put the big things of life into the bowl. And uh, here's, here's your challenge. You can't go above the top of the bowl. All right, so go ahead and fit those in. <clears throat> yeah, you can't go ahead. So, All right, he's going to start with... Oh, look at this. Family man. He's going to start with family. Make sure family gets into the bowl. I'm sure his wife's going to be happy with that. Okay. Prayer. Ooh, it's a big one. Yeah, there you go. <coughs> now you can't go over the top. <coughs> kind of rearrange. Yeah. What else? It should all go in there. Yeah. What do you got there? Ministry. ministry. He's going to put ministry in. He's got that one. What else? Worship. Put worship in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're getting close here. Okay. He's going to take family back out. Oh, no, he's just readjusting family. <laughs> Just readjusted family. Sorry, I jumped the gun on that one. All families need readjusted from time to time. So there we go. And, oh, don't miss that one. Rest. Everybody needs rest, right? Vacation, relaxation, renewal, good nap by the fire. Rest. There it is. Bible reading. What do you think? What's going to happen here? He's kind of stuck. Employment? <laughs> you probably need to be employed, right? <clears throat> ah, we're hearing some advice from the audience here. 
What about friends, man? Hey, we used to be friends. What, what happened on this thing? I see you one week, one day a week. Worship? Oh, you're going to trade me for worship. I get it. Well, that's where I see you. Oh, you see me. Okay, he's kind of thinking through this. He doesn't have many other friends. So. I got my family in there. Got family. It's good. It's good. All right. Now, what, what if we gave Scott an opportunity to try this a different way? What if we did that? What do you think he would do? He's going to do big rocks first, right? Every, can everybody help him say it together? Okay, let's see how this goes. He's going to do the biggest ones first. See if he can make this happen. Ooh, look at that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, it's really quiet in here. You guys are... <laughs> planning. He's even going to get planning in there. Maybe. It's exciting. Worship. Look at that. Looky there. He's got it all in. See that? Now, how many of you think he's going to have time for all this stuff? Think he's going to have time for all this stuff? What you, what you see? Oh, there's a Facebook post. Oh, there he is. He's going to shake it. See, that's... Sometimes you have to shake life a little bit. Yeah. Whoa. Look at that. Get his last tweet in there. Don't miss that. There we go. He did it. So there we go. Now, that illustration, thank you, Scott. You did a great job. See, Joe, Joe missed out. It was easy, right? It was easy. Now look at this. It all fits. And we obviously saw why. You've got to put the big rocks first. And so that's what our whole series is about. About the big parts of our lives that have to go in First, And of course, obviously, the beginning of the year is a great time to think about it. Um, if we give attention to getting the right things into our lives first, then everything else will fit. But you know, trying to cram those essentials in after you've already given priority to trivial things leads you to constant frustration. And I'm not going to ask how many of you have lived your life in constant frustration and for some of you, 2013, if you could give it a two-word title, it was constant frustration. And 2012, same thing. And 2011, same thing. 
And for years, it seems like that's all you've had is constant frustration. And so this morning, we're going to start with one of these big rocks and talk about what we need to fit into our lives first. We're going to start with redemption through Christ, our first big rock here in the series. The notes are provided in your bulletin. And if you'd like to follow along with us there, we'd love for you to be able to do that. Now, without this foundation, this big rock, your life's going to be meaningless. And it's not just this year, but it's forever. In fact, without this rock in your life, there's really no hope. And I know that you know people and you see people and you're around people who seem not to have any hope. And we are the ones who should show forth hope. God's people, God's family, the people who claim to be followers of Christ, we should show forth hope to the world around us. But sometimes we don't, and we're just as frustrated as other people because we dump all of the unimportant stuff in first. Uh, how many of you have children out there? How many have children? Wave at me. Okay, um, I don't know if you've ever had the occasion where your kids had homework, right? And they came home from school, he or she, and instead of doing homework, they did some important stuff. They drew pictures, they read the comic strip, they had a snack. What is it? Somebody knows about this story right down here. She knows this story played video games, and you came in the room at 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night, bedtime. Did you do all your homework? Oops. Oops. I forgot my homework. What happened? We started with the wrong point of view. We started with all the small stuff, and then we tried to fit the big stuff in. And when it comes to this idea of redemption through Christ, a lot of people say, you know what? I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and my, live my life for a while. And uh, when the right time comes for me to make a decision for Christ, I'll get it done. And uh, that's the opposite of how God wants us to go about it. In fact, that's the fastest way to eternal death. And uh, so we start this morning by saying this, admit the reality of sin. That's the first thing we're going to talk about. Admit the reality of of sin. We could throw in a lot of terms and definitions, but I'm pretty sure that the concept of S-I-N is nothing new to the people in this room. If you flip a page over to Romans 5 at verse number 12, look at this first phrase in Romans 5:12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. And we, we know, those of us who've been to church at all or been to Sunday school or have a Bible, we know that that man was Adam. Adam and Eve, and, and through them, sin entered into the world. And whether we're talking about falling short of a mark of, of God's righteousness, or there are some other words, iniquity, or error, or transgression, or unbelief, we're talking about sin. The fastest way to disillusionment is self-deception about sin. There are people who actually say out loud, well, I'm not a sinner. I've never done anything wrong. Now, it's pretty rare to meet them, but there are people who actually think this. Now, 
I know that some of you, I can tell by the smiles on your face, you're thinking of them right now. Right? You're thinking about, oh yeah, that sounds like my aunt or my cousin or my nephew or one of my kids who thinks that they never do anything wrong. Notice I did not say your husband or wife because I want you to start the new year with this healthy relationship in your marriage. So we're not going to talk about marriage at all for the first month of the year. We are going to do a series this year called Family Values According to God. And at Vision Night tonight, we'll talk about a lot of our series we're going through this year. Go with me to First John. I, I want to dispute this idea that people have where they say, you know what, I've never done anything wrong or I've only made mistakes. I've made a few errors. I've made a few bad decisions, but certainly I'm not a sinner. I mean, sinners are the guys who are in prison. Sinners are the guys who get handcuffed. Sinners are the guys who have real trouble. And yet the Bible tells us something different. So 1 John chapter 1. Now look at verse 8 here. God clearly telling mankind here that the truth is not inside of those who think they have no sin. 1 John 1a. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. That's pretty plain. Look at verse number 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. So those who say, boy, I don't have any sin. I have nothing wrong in my life. Not only are they telling a lie, but they're trying to make God a liar. And that's the part of it sometimes we miss, is how we're treating God with that action in our lives. And before we can even begin to face the problem of sin, we have to admit it's there. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says this, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. There's not one. Proverbs 20, verse 9, Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from sin? Nobody can. Sin's a reality. As much as we hate its existence, it's here. And so sin is definitely a reality. But I want to talk secondly about this rock or this peace that has to go into our lives. Acknowledge the return of sin. Acknowledge the return of sin. We started in Romans 5.12 a minute ago. It said, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. Listen to the rest of the verse. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. Death by sin. Now, we, we've heard that phrase before, death by chocolate. You ever heard of that? Death by chocolate. Death by what is somebody say? I, I, I don't know if I should take requests from the audience on this. I'm a little worried here. Death by what? Death by dogs. Oh, that's not a fun way to go. That happened to uh, the North Korean uh, emperor's uncle, though. Did you guys hear about that? He had his own uncle eaten by um, dogs that were, like, starved. I don't know how we got onto that. But death by, and you fill in the blank. You know what the Bible says death is by? It's by sin. Death by sin. And, and so death passed upon all men, the verse continues, for that all have sinned. 
And so this is a condition that's in all of us. The reality is there is sin, but then we have to acknowledge the return of sin. The next chapter over Romans 6 says, For the wages of sin is death. The return on sin is death. That's the byproduct of sin. Sin is a reality. And the wages of sin is death. The return on sin is eternal separation from God. That is as true as it possibly can be. But just because something true, something's true doesn't make it easy to sign off on. Right? And when your doctor came in and told you that you had a high blood pressure, you didn't necessarily sign off on that, did you? When your doctor came in and showed you your cholesterol score, you didn't necessarily agree with that score, did you? I didn't either. My triglycerides, I didn't know they had a number that high. Like, what are you talking about? When did you take your blood test? After I ate, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts? Well, maybe you should not do that. Take another blood test. So, just a tip out there for you. Don't eat Krispy Kreme donuts right before your blood test. But, you know, sometimes we hear things, and we kind of intrinsically know, yeah, that's true, but I'm not buying in. I'm not going to acknowledge that. Jahi McMath, 13 years old, uh, because of her sleep apnea, went in on December 9th to have her tonsils taken out. And the doctors also are going to take some tissue out in her throat to help her breathe better. Yeah, they had the surgery, and, and during the recovery the young lady began to bleed profusely from her mouth and she actually went into cardiac arrest, which sent her into a coma. And on December 12th, Children's Hospital in Oakland, California, signed her death certificate. Several doctors declared her brain dead. You may have seen this story in the news. Though it's very sad that this young lady passed away, You would never have heard this story except for one detail, this next detail. Her mother, Nyla Winkfield, refuses to believe that she's dead. In fact, she's gone to court, along with her family, fighting for an injunction to keep her daughter's body on a ventilator. And so she's brain dead, she's been declared dead, but the body is being kept on a breathing ventilator. You know, the, the whole thing is tragic, isn't it? I just went hearing the story. Some of you are in the medical field, and it's so devastating to, to hear both sides of this. Um, mom doesn't understand why her daughter, who was talking to them in the recovery room, suddenly had this horrible health problem. And even though doctors and medical staff and judges and outside consultants from uh, Stanford University have come in and they've compassionately told her that her daughter is no longer alive, she is fighting to keep Jahi's body on the machine. And she says she's praying for a miracle. I certainly can't pass judgment on Nyla because I don't know what I'd do or how I'd respond if it were one of my kids. But it's not difficult for the outside world to see that she's in denial. She won't sign off on the fact that her daughter is dead. She just won't agree. She won't believe it. 
And this is a devastating thing, horrible thing. It's been in the news this past week. There are millions of people in the human race, you could be one of them, who refuse to sign off on the fact that sin kills permanently. I'm not just talking about physical death, which is still guaranteed for all of us. I'm talking about spiritual death. There's a lot of people who just refuse to face that fact. They say, well, I'm going to be the first one to overcome sin. Sin won't get me. I've got a plan for beating sin. You know what? Nobody's ever done it. It's never happened once in the history of the planet. You know, okay, hey, that's good. I'm glad you're saying that, but don't talk during church. She said Jesus did it. She's actually technically right. I tend to agree with you. So does the Bible, and so do the rest of us. You're a very smart young lady. It's kind of like one time, I had to totally miss this one. Um, we pastored a little church in Boise for eight and a half years, and yeah, I'd been thinking about this illustration. And man, I watched the Discovery Channel. I read this book about um, these people in the desert and how they traveled, and they went and got salt, and it was so valuable, and they'd sell it. And uh, so I got up, and man, I was ready for this illustration. And uh, you remember Mark Keeney? Um, Mark Keeney was sitting in the back, big old tall red-headed guy. And so I said, uh, I said, folks, what's the most valuable thing in the desert? And old Mark back in the back went, water. <laughs> and like it totally destroyed my illustration. Because I was going to talk about how salt is so valuable in the desert. And I missed the obvious, water. Water's the most valuable thing. So she got the obvious thing. Good job right there. But I don't know how we keep away from that. But here was this deal where people are saying, you know what? I'm going to figure out how to get past sin. And Jesus actually talked to Nicodemus about this in John chapter 3. Look over to John chapter 3. And we're going to see how Jesus explained this to Nicodemus. That man is born under the horrible consequences and condemnation of sin. And I bet you you've heard this first verse we'll read before. John 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now look at this next one. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Now please would you not miss this next phrase. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus explained to Nicodemus, mankind is condemned already. Sin is real, and it kills. But then, thirdly, let's address true repentance of sin. Let's address true repentance of sin. You know, keeping your priorities is tough. 
Making the list isn't that hard. There's probably quite a few people who made some type of New Year's goals or thoughts or resolutions. And the writing down part isn't the struggle. It's the keeping it part that's the struggle. In fact, today we're on January 5th. And a, a lot of us who did write any type of list were already thinking, Oh man, did I already miss it? Did I already mess up on this? And we were only five days in. So it, it happens pretty quickly. But I have to tell you, the repent rock is not an easy one to put into the bowl. It's kind of like the exercise rock. It's not one that we really like to get in there and make sure it gets done. Uh, it's one that can't be left out, though, for those who are seeking redemption in Jesus Christ. Go back to your left in the New Testament to Luke chapter 13. And I know we're covering a lot of Scripture today, but this is the way to start the new year off right, to get into the Word of God and see what God has to say for us. Uh, some folks had come to talk with Jesus in Luke 13, and he began to explain to them some things about sin and repentance. Luke 13. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So Pilate, the ruler, had killed some of the Galileans. And in fact, he had tortured them so brutally and killed them in a way where their blood was mixed with the temple sacrifices. And they were wondering from Jesus, what did these people do wrong for them to be killed that way? Right? That's something we always kind of figure. We think, boy, I wonder what that person did wrong. Or I wonder what that family did wrong to deserve this. Look, look at Jesus' answer. It's so profound. Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? So he speaks right to the question. He says, Do you think that because Pilate killed these people that they were bigger sinners than the other people? Right? Do you think that because this person got cancer that he's a bigger sinner than the other person? Or because this person got in an automobile accident, that he's a bigger sinner than the guy behind him who didn't? Jesus speaks right to the questions of our hearts. And then he gives an answer. Verse 3. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So Jesus said this sin thing puts us all in the same boat. We're all there together, every one of us. Then look at verse 4. He talks about another story. Modern times. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? So he cites a current event and Jesus says, hey, this construction accident that just happened where 18 people died, do you think those 18 people were bigger sinners than everybody else? And once again, we have the correct answer. No, they, they weren't. In fact, he says it to him, verse 5, Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And so, Jesus explained to them about repentance. And uh, then we have to think, okay, well, I see the word repent, but that's a Bible word. What does it mean to repent? Uh, what does it mean for us to repent so that we don't perish? Do we have to turn away from sin and never do it again? 
And there are people who think that way, and they think that every time that they do something wrong or have a bad thought that they lose salvation. They've actually been taught that repentance means I'm walking this way, I'm walking this way, I'm walking this way, repent, I'm walking this way, I'm walking this way, and if I ever turn back at all, I'm no longer a child of God. Now, those people are some of the most miserable, sorrowful people on earth, and I feel so badly for them. The Bible says, he that hath the Son hath eternal life. And once you have turned to God in your heart for salvation, you don't ever have to do it again. He only died on the cross once. And if you try to make Him be your Redeemer more than once, it won't work. He can only save you once. And so what does repentance mean that if it doesn't mean to totally turn from sin? And uh, there's a passage in Acts that's helped me understand this a lot better. Acts chapter 17. And uh, those of you who read the Bible, you may remember this passage. The Apostle Paul was in Athens in Greece, and he was up on top of a hill called Mars Hill. That's where the Mars candy bar was invented, right? Just look it up on Wikipedia. But he's up on top of this hill, and at the top of this hill was called Areopagus, and it's where all the philosophers of the day gathered, and they talked about the ideas of Aristotle and Socrates and Plato and all these people, some of the philosophers who had been around before Christ. And so Acts 17, and Paul's explaining some things to them. Look at verse number 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So there were a lot of people in Athens, just like there are a lot of people in America, who worship a God who is not personal at all, who they don't know, who doesn't even really have a name except God. And if you wonder about this, think back. You probably know where you were, if you're old enough to remember this. On the morning of September 11th, remember where you were? And remember when you first heard or you first saw about the terrorist attacks and the towers being hit and collapsing of the Pentagon and and all the things that began to take place that day. And uh, here's what I remember about it. We, We sat there stunned as anybody and uh, we had tears flowing down our face and just watching it unfold throughout the whole day. And I remember Peter Jennings, who has passed since uh, ABC News. He got on that night, because they're doing their continuing coverage. And Peter Jennings, who's an agnostic, who has no regard for God, said, we should all take a moment to pray for the families of those who are affected. And here was my thought. Maybe I'm skeptical, maybe I'm mean, but my first thought was, who are they going to pray to? If there's no God, who are you going to pray to? And it's who the Athenians were praying to. They said, you know, we'll just make up this generic guy named God, and whenever we have a problem, we'll take our beef to him. Here's my question. How's it working for you? If there's no personal God who created the world, who gave us redemption, we're in big, big trouble. 
So Paul kept talking to the Athenians and he explained to them who Jesus was and who God was. He said, you can't make a God with your own hands. But skip down to verse number 30. Yeah, this is where we find that word that we're trying to define. Acts 17, verse 30. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. Now, there's a trivia question right there. If you ever want to find a place in the Bible where God winked, it's Acts 17, 30. The times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You know what that word means? It means to have another mind. To change the way that you see or believe in God. That's what repentance is. The moment that you decided to make Jesus Christ your Savior, that decision was repentance. You changed your heart toward God. Now, that change of heart and mind results in a change of action. You become a new creature in Christ. You have a new spirit that's born in you, John 3 says. But repentance is a change of heart that results in a change of action. If you want to write that down, I think that's a really good definition as you study it out in the Scriptures. Repentance is so important. It has to be in the bucket. But repentance combined with faith, boy, that's the recipe for salvation. And you can't separate them. They're together. Repentance and faith... They squish together. They're a compound. And I don't know how to scientifically explain that. I can get Casey to scientifically explain how that works. You can't separate repentance and faith. They're together. Now, what is another name that we have for water? Right, you guys are with me. You guys are thinking this way, right? H2O, right? What's H? Man, you guys are smart. Now, what's H-E? What's A-U? I'll just see if you're awake here this morning. All right, what's F-E? See, you guys are with me. So, so H, 2, and then O. What's O? Oxygen. Now, that's a compound that's got to be together, and it's kind of like repentance and faith. And so let's close up by this faith aspect. Accept the reconciliation for sin. Accept the reconciliation for sin. As we finish the message today, I want you to turn to your right there in the New Testament and go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Reconciliation is the only way we get to God. It comes through the blood of Jesus Christ alone. Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin. Look at 1 Timothy 1, verse number 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. So it means it has to be accepted. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is the gospel in a nutshell. When you realize Jesus came into the world to save me because I'm a sinner and you accept that, that's salvation. That's repentance and faith. And the Scriptures paint the whole picture for us. The details are there. But if we don't accept the truth, 
we miss out. And, and so then we get to these definitions again. And some people are probably thinking, well, what does it mean to accept Jesus? What does it mean to accept the gift of life? Because we just had Christmas, right? And when they put the present under the tree and it had your name on it, what did you have to do to get it? Now, this is the time where you could actually answer. What, what is that? No, you didn't have to wait and earn it. Not at my house. Otherwise, they'd never get it. All right? What did you have to do to get your present? Tear the wrapping paper. That's what you had to do, right? Tear the wrapping paper. It's a present. It has your name on it. You open it up. And that's just like the gift of eternal life. You have to accept that it's really for you and tear it open. Now, how do you do it? Well, it's by this thing called faith. And to help us understand that, I just talked to you a little bit about parachutes. If you're going to go jump out of an airplane, there might be some things that you should consider. Probably more than one thing you should consider. But when it comes to parachutes, knowing the specs of the parachute is a good thought. What's the rating of this thing? How much weight will it hold? What does a guy pull? And when does he pull it? And uh, how do I know I can trust this parachute? Those are questions you probably would ask. That would be a good thing, a great idea for you to ask them. Now, checking out the canopy and the lines and the riser and the container, all of a great idea. But you know, you can do all of that checking while you're still on the ground. Here's where real faith comes into play. See, knowing about the parachute isn't faith. Studying the parachute isn't faith. But jumping out of the plane with the parachute as your sole option for survival, that's faith. That's real acceptance. The only way to settle the matter of redemption through Christ in your life is with real faith. Where you can't rest on anything but Jesus. How many of you have uh, ever jumped out of an airplane while it was still in the air? What was in the air? Okay. Yeah, several of you. Some military people. Some daredevils out there. How many jumps have you done, Eric? Three? I thought he'd come up with some enormous number. Um, three's enough for me. I've, I've gotten this many so far. Um, I don't, guess I don't have that much faith. But you know, jumping out of that airplane... Let's talk about it for a minute. You may not remember the date, but you remember the event. You definitely remember the event. You may not know the names of all the people who were on the plane with you, but you know the circumstances and you know the surroundings and you know the emotions that were there. You know, it's the same way with the moment of salvation. With placing your faith and trust in Christ Jesus you might not know the exact time and date, but you have to know the event. Sometimes I ask people about salvation and they tell me, well, I've always been a Christian. And I'm not trying to be mean or to belittle you, friend, but scripturally, that's not possible. See, you have to be a sinner before Jesus can save you from sin. I've had other people tell me, well, I go to church or... Boy, I've done some good things in the community. 
Listen, today we've covered the groundwork of the big rock of redemption through Christ. And the big rock of redemption through Christ says that we have to accept the fact that we're sinners. We have to understand that there is a penalty for sin and that it's death. That we have to be willing to repent and place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And if you can't go back in your mind right now to an event where that happened, you don't have to know the date or the day of the week, but if you don't remember who was there, who helped you pray, or who showed you from the Scriptures that you could know Jesus Christ, then it's possible that you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And today is this first Sunday of the year. I hope you'll take a moment to do that as we start the year out. This first big rock. Let's bow in prayer together. As we pray, I would ask that you, out of reverence for God, no looking around, no doing anything else here for just a minute. Can I just ask you this? I'm not trying to embarrass you. I love you. I care for you. But if you say, Pastor, I cannot go back into my mind to a time, to an event where I received Jesus into my life, where I accepted Jesus as my only way for salvation. Say, I'm just not sure about that. I I don't really know what that means. If you'd be honest about that with no one looking around, would you slip your hand out? Say, Pastor, I'm just not sure about that. Can't go back to a time where I received Jesus in my life. Just slip your hand out. I would just want to pray for you. Yes, I'll pray for you. Anybody else? Say, Pastor, would you please just pray for me? I'm not sure. Father, I'd like to pray today for those who have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And God, I I know that you've made it so simple for us to understand and to receive Jesus Christ. And so I pray that those who would like to receive Jesus Christ today would come during this time of invitation in just a moment. Come and take my hand so that we can send them with a counselor to know from God's Word how to be saved. I pray that there would be those today who would say, in commitment to Jesus Christ, there are some things I need to put in my life. But before they'll fit, I need to empty everything else. But friend, maybe you need to come today to this altar and kneel at your seat and empty your life before God so that God can fill it with the right things. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning as Casey plays and sings. Would you stand right now? If you'd like to be saved, come and take my hand here at the front. And if you need to come and pray before God and empty your life, you do that right at this time. Come right now. Don't wait. Come on the first verse.